My name's Eric. I am the lead pastor here at our Riverdale location of Alpine Church. And we are in the book of Mark, which is uh, the second gospel in the New Testament. It's the second book in the New Testament of your Bibles, right after Matthew. And those four books in the New Testament of the Bible are all eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it's just a recounting of of his life. That's why it's called the Gospel of Mark, because ultimately those things are telling us the good news. It is good news that Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Good Friday, even though it seemed like it was a bad thing. It's a good thing, because we know he rose from the dead, and he, he did so much to set us all free. And so as we talk about Jesus' life, we're, we're looking at the way that Mark wrote it down. This guy named Mark, who was a a follower of, actually, he was a disciple under Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And what we've talked about in chapter 2 is that Jesus gets confronted with religious leaders of his day. Now, in chapter 1, he started his ministry and proved who he was, was proving his authority, proving he was God in the flesh, stepped down from heaven, come to set things right. Because the world has been broken ever since Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, and so Jesus has come to restore that. He's the promised Messiah who was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And now Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies in the New Testament. But yet the religious leaders of his day, Israel, the nation of Israel, their leaders, right? This was a, a theocracy, which means that they didn't have necessarily a government like ours, you know, where we try to separate church and state, even though, you know, it's confusing because the country was founded on Christian morality and principles, yet they had a theocracy. That means that they were really a, a nation that followed God and his laws and his rules and tried to live by those things. And they had these leaders, leaders of the synagogue, leaders of the temple. They had priests, and then they had these guys named Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law. And these guys are basically the, the gatekeepers to God. And what happened was is that they, they distorted the law. They distorted the truth. They started misinterpreting scripture and, and as a result, started adding all, all of these burdening laws and ordinances and rules on people's backs more than what they could handle. They, they distorted God's word and misinterpreted it. And that's what I think happens with every false religion out there in the world, by the way. Every cult, every, every religion that claims to be a works-based religion, that it's, it's what I do, it's how I live, it's how I follow the rules. Um, every religion that believes that is a false religion, an occult, by the way. But most of them, what they've done, maybe even with good intentions, have gone to the Bible and misinterpreted it. They've misinterpreted and misunderstood the whole timeline of the Old Testament and, and the laws that were given to the nation of Israel, this theocracy. And then they've misinterpreted the most important thing, that God came, all of that was pointing to 
God the Son stepping down on earth to fulfill all of these prophecies that were hard to understand. And he was, he was, it was all pointing towards the sacrifice for sin. All these things that happened in the temple was all pointing towards Jesus, the Messiah, who had to be sacrificed for the sin of the world. And they didn't like it. They, they misinterpreted it. They rejected Jesus and so that's where we come to today. We've seen the Pharisees who are called the separated ones. That's, they, they believe they are the, they're the ones that if, if someone was religious, they would look to them to try to be like them because they were like almost the monks of their day, the ultra-religious. And they've, they've challenged Jesus three times. He healed a paralytic, said his sins were forgiven. In the first part of the chapter, they didn't like that. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. They said, oh, our, our Messiah, the Son of God, wouldn't be hanging out with sinners. We don't like that. You're not the Messiah. And then last week, uh, they asked him why his disciples don't fast. And so they had this argument over fasting, which is a, a spiritual discipline that we still do today. But it can be misunderstood. And they misunderstood the purpose of spiritual disciplines, which leads us to today's message, as I read, we're going to be actually talking about the Sabbath. I know a lot of you guys have heard that word before. We're going to explain what the Sabbath means. But really, the heart of this message is that we're going to, we're going to ask the question, what does God desire from us? What pleases God? Is it love or legalism? What does God want from us. Does he want us to care about people or does he want us to keep the rules? Now, this is where I think the church, even the Christian church, has a hard time, you know, interpreting this and, and not getting confused because some people are just kind of black and white. And I admit I'm one of those people. I'm kind of all the way in or all the way out, you know, black and white type of a person. But we have to guard against being that way in faith in religion because you can go too far one way or the other with love or legalism. There are laws that God put in place. There are good things that God said to do. The commandments, the Ten Commandments, which sum up all of his 613 laws in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are good to follow as Christians. There are many laws in the Bible that we should still be following today no matter when they were said, no matter when they were written down. I think some people think, and I hear this all the time, it drives me insane, you know, kind of the, the secular world or the, the more theologically liberal, uh, progressive Christianity and other religions out there, they'll say, That's a, the book's 3,000 years old, why are we still following it? You know, should, shouldn't... I had somebody once, you know, write a comment about me on Instagram after a sermon I preached one time saying they thought that because I, I read some verses in the Bible about sexuality, they thought the, the pastor at Riverdale's a homophobe, you know. And so I had to write back to this person and she's, she, said, she said, why, 
why don't you guys just start getting with the times? You know, the book's old, right? You, we need to start looking around at culture and start, you know, changing and, and, and be more loving and, and more gracious, right? And so that's the, that's the extreme of love that sometimes gets distorted. But yet, on the other hand, what we're talking about today, legalism is trying to follow every rule and law so as to be right with God, which we know is imperfect, or we are imperfect, and it's impossible. There's no way to actually follow all the laws that God has set in place. We cannot follow God's will perfectly. We cannot not sin. And sin is any time we go against God and his word, any one of his laws, we cannot not sin because we are bent to sin. We are naturally depraved. And even as Christians... Yes, we've been set free from the bondage of sin, yet the effects of sin still reside in us. And we are now at war in ourselves, trying to follow God and fighting what the Bible calls this, this flesh that I still have. But thank God, that's why Jesus came, so that we weren't going to be right with God by following laws and rules, but through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And, and that's the big struggle. That's why I think today's message is so relevant and timely and important. Because a lot of people get the scriptures wrong. Now, I cannot sit, stand up here and say to you so arrogantly that I have it 100% right either. Nobody does. Nobody properly interprets scripture 100%. But there are major things in the Bible that must be interpreted properly. Things that concern your faith and salvation, those must be interpreted properly and, and understood and believed. That's what's important. There are a lot of gray area issues that people fight over, but there are certain things that are black and white that we need to understand. So we can't go too far one way or the other because, you know, how many times have you heard people say, like, yeah, you know, you know, we're not in the Old Testament anymore, and so uh, we shouldn't call people out on their sin. That's, that's wrong. Jesus came, and the first things he said was repent and believe. Repent of your sin and believe. So, no, we don't get rid of calling people out for their sin. No, we say, hey, you're a sinner. The only way a person can get saved in the first place is by understanding that they're a sinner. You can't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, just I just want to get to heaven, so I believe in you. It's not... No, it's, it's no, I believe in you because you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And that's how a person gets saved. And Jesus is trying to set, set that straight even with the, the most prominent religious leaders of the day. We're going to break this text into three different things. First, I want to talk about the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Um, and actually comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, 8 through 11, when Moses went up on the mountain, God gave him all these laws, some of the things I've been talking about, and this is one of them. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. Now, I want to stop right there. There's a little bit more to it, but 
Simply put, Sabbath means seventh day. And what's the seventh day in our calendar? Does anybody know what that is? Saturday, right? Saturday. Why are we here on Sunday? Do we call today the Sabbath? Is Sunday the Sabbath? Well, according to God in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is actually Saturday. Why is it Saturday? Because we created our whole calendar around God and the creation of God. Even if you go back like to, to our calendar that, that celebrates Christ's birth in year zero. That's why we're in the year 2023 today. Because the, the calendar started at Christ's birth, the calendar that we follow. And the weekly calendar started as we looked at the Bible and God's creation. And so the Bible says this. About how, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God created everything in six days. Go read your Bibles in the book of Genesis. And on the seventh day he decided to rest. Now there's so much in this. But one thing I just want to say is there's practicality to it, too. If we're going to be followers of God, we believe he created us. He knows us. He knows what's best for us. And so if God rested on the seventh day, then mere mortal humans ought to rest once a week also. Now, it's also supposed to be in the Jewish Jewish law and the Jewish tradition. It was a day of, of, of worship. It was a day of contemplating. It was a day of of remembering the Lord and, 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 and how mighty and awesome God is. It was a day that we, we took seriously, that the people of Israel are supposed to take seriously. If God says something in his word, even though we don't understand it, we ought to take heed and, and follow it. I mean, that's the biggest struggle in our culture today. That's why people want to minimize scripture. It's because they don't like what it says or it doesn't actually fit their schedule. Right? If you're a Christian here today and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, but you don't want to you know, submit to God's word, especially with, with your schedule, then is he really your Lord? You want him to be your Savior, but is he really your Lord? Now, what this meant for the nation of Israel was so many different things. They weren't supposed to do work. That was part of their worship. That was part of being obedient. All right? And so... There's a funny thing about pastors, because pastors always have to work on Sundays, and staff that work at a church, and people always ask, like, are pastors and church, church leaders and volunteers, like, breaking the Sabbath? Well, no, the answer is no. <laughs> because, first of all, the Sabbath isn't Sunday. Secondly, why do we worship on Sunday? Because when Jesus died and rose again, he rose on a Sunday. That's Easter Sunday coming up. And so Easter Sunday marked out this new way of worship for Jesus' followers. They all were Jewish Christians at the time, and they were, they were observing the Sabbath. But when, when Jesus died and rose again, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went on to start the church, they said, we want to remember the Lord's Day. So that's what Sunday is. It's the Lord's Day. We come and we observe Christ's death and resurrection and we worship him. And so many religions have like changed it. Now Sunday's the Sabbath. You know, I don't, it's kind of unclear that you can call it the Sabbath. I mean, you can if you want, but 
this law of the Sabbath did not continue on the same way in the New Testament. Um, and Jesus, you know, makes, it, makes that clear. Other New Testament writers make that clear. Actually, uh, Paul talks about it in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, what are the Pharisees judging him over? They're judging him on how he and his disciples are acting on the Sabbath. But yet, there's a principle we must understand, that there are some things written for the nation of Israel that aren't meant for us today. And all well, the, way, the best way to interpret that is to look at the Bible and say, okay, if something in the Old Testament was reiterated in the New Testament, then I better take heed and, and pay attention to that. But something, the one law out of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, it's never reiterated in the same way. Jesus actually spends more time refuting the belief about the Sabbath than actually helping us understand that we're supposed to continue not working. And we're going to see later, as it says, the substance of these things, this is just a shadow. As I said before, all of the things in the Old Testament are pointing towards Christ, even the Sabbath is pointing towards Christ. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on understanding what the Sabbath is, what it means for us today, what it meant for them back then that they weren't supposed to work, um, and how now the Pharisees are going to confront him. And so let's look at this first thing about harvesting grain. And Mark, in the first couple of verses of chapter 2, 23-24, one Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, there's a problem with this. Now, right off the bat, you're thinking, yeah, I guess according to God's law, these guys are correct, right? They shouldn't be walking through the grain fields and harvesting grain. But yet, this is the problem with religious people is their misinterpretation and they're adding all kinds of other stuff to what God said. Because if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, it further explains you know, some stuff about working on the Sabbath. And it says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Now, they, they were plucking and they probably thought, well, in order to... To get grain to where you need to eat it, you actually do have to actually crush it. There is, I actually used to work at a flour mill. And at a flour mill, you know, we, they harvested grain, brought it in in trucks and train loads, and it would run through all these pieces of equipment to be smashed and, and, and separated, and it would turn into flour. These guys are doing that a little bit in their hands, kind of crushing it. And the Pharisees, because they had built so many other laws and rules around the laws of God, they were walking around like the religion police, holding people accountable to things that God wasn't even desiring to hold them accountable to. In fact, the Pharisees are famous for doing this. 
they, they build all these barricades around the law because, again, their heart was legalism. They felt like the more they followed God's rules, the more God loved them and the higher status that they had in heaven. And they did this so much so that almost preventing anyone from having any kind of joy or doing anything without always worrying. Am I going to lose my place in heaven? I mean, even now, we have religions like that, right? You're always worried. You never know if God's happy with you or not based off of your past actions and activities. But yet God wants us to have joy. The Pharisees steal joy. Jesus calls the Pharisees sons of the devil, children of Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And did you know that Satan uses false religion and legalism to steal our joy and to steer us away from true faith? I mean, that is something that we need to guard against as we're talking about challenging religion today. Boundaries are good and laws are good. And that's where we go back to this whole idea of swaying too far to the other side, being too all about love and compassion and people's feelings. And we say, well, the law doesn't matter anymore. That's called antinomianism. And the law does matter. God's standards matter. God gave us boundaries for, for a reason. God gave us Things to follow because he knows that it's, it's good for us to follow these things. Even a day of rest makes sense to me. I take a day of rest. I don't call it a Sabbath, but every week I actually have to work hard to not work. Every single day because I know my body needs it and I know my brain needs it. If I, if I work every single day, you know, I'll just be honest. What, what ends up happening, I get overwhelmed. I get ornery. I get irritated. People don't want to be around me. I start holding grudges and resentments against other people that I work with because sometimes I, I feel overworked, but it's not their fault, it's my fault. Because I didn't set a boundary for myself to take a day off. Boundaries are good, right? Think about, you know, like the whole sexual revolution that, that's going on in our, our world right now, and, and God has spoken about how to do it properly. It's, it's in marriage between a man and woman is the only place that sex should be used. And, and there's good reason for that. Why? Because, because we want kids to have both of their parents. We, their studies have shown that when kids have both a father and mother in an unbroken home, they're set up for success. Now, I'm not saying that God can't use the other way around too, and I'm, I'm certainly one who can testify to that, all right? But yet there's a way in which God says that this is going to be good for you. Like think about if you lived next to a freeway, right, or a highway, and, and you let your kids play out in the front yard, and it's right next to this road. They, they go 50 to 60 miles an hour. There's this danger there, and, and you would want a fence around that yard so that you could feel safe and secure that your kids are going to be okay when they go out because they're not smart enough sometimes to not go, you know, throw a ball in the middle of the road and get ran over. And so, so the boundary of the fence is a good thing. The problem with the Pharisees and legalistic people is what they've done is not just put a fence around the yard like God desired, but they put a fence around every beautiful thing in the yard. The flowers, don't touch. Don't touch this blade of grass. 
Don't touch the shed. Don't touch any of the toys. Don't touch the fireplace. Just fences around everything in the yard, so much so that you cannot enjoy God's creation and what he intended. Here's how Jesus responds. Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, now there's a fun little statement that me and my wife have. When one or the other, you know, isn't acting Christian-like or, or whatever. Like, there's, there's a story about one time, you know, I, I, uh, we were going downstairs to watch a movie. And my hands were free. And we've got a baby. You've got to carry the baby downstairs. And then we love to eat in front of the TV every once in a while. And so we've got a tray of food. And I didn't grab anything. And I'm just like, I'll see you down there, honey. And she's like, do you even read the Bible? <laughs> and so now, now we just say that to each other all the time, right? She said that because I wasn't being a servant, right? If I call myself a Christian, I'm not being a servant, I must be misinterpreting the Bible. If it's not coming out in my life, something's wrong. I must be, I'm doing all this reading and I must be misinterpreting and not getting something, right? So Jesus says that same thing to them. I love it when, when he says, haven't you ever read in the scriptures? And he talks about this story, which is in 1 Samuel, about when David was on the run from Saul, they were starving. He and his men were starving and he showed up to the priest and and. And there was this thing in the temple called the bread of presence. It got exchanged every, every week. And, and when it got exchanged, the priests were allowed to eat it. And only priests were supposed to eat it. But yet the priest had mercy on David because he was hungry, starving, maybe even to the point of death. And they allowed David and his men to eat that bread. And so Jesus uses David one that they would, they would not dare to call someone who broke God's law or a sinner, you know, wrong at this moment of his life. And again, that's what you see in people in cults or false religions is that even though their, their prophets were, if you examine their lives, were terrible sinners, the cults will not agree to that. They'll be like, no, no, they'll make all kinds of excuses, right? That's what Jesus is appealing to here. Jesus is appealing to, look, even David did this, which is even greater than my disciples plucking grain in a field, which you've so badly misinterpreted. And then there's another thing that happens as we get into chapter 3. that says Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus, being uninterested in being a people pleaser, in fact, he actually ran toward conflict, and he started it. He was actually an antagonist for a lot of conflict because he was trying to show them a lesson. Um, here's what he does. He tells the guy to stand up. 
he makes a point of this by he is going to heal on the Sabbath. They know that they're going to he's they're going to try to catch him in what they think is a sin, but Jesus is like, I'm not scared of you guys. I wrote this law. I wrote this book. This is all about me. You don't understand it, but watch what I do. What Jesus said to the guy with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. You see, it wasn't the fact that they didn't, they didn't like Jesus healing people. It was the fact that they didn't like him doing it on the Sabbath. And they felt like following the law, following the rules, is what proved a person to be holy and what, per, what proved a person to be right with God. If this guy was the Messiah, then he should not be doing these things. Totally missing the point of, of the love and grace of Jesus, how he wants to take care of people, how he wants to love people. His disciples want to get food, they ought to be able to get some food. It's not eating, or it's not working to eat, although sometimes it feels that way, you know, while we're cooking. But it's not work to eat, right? And it's not work for God the Son to heal someone on a holy day. And so that's where he uses this language. Is this a day for doing evil? And here's what he's pointing out to them, because they're plotting evil on him. That's what he means when he says that. Is the Sabbath, like, I'm doing good and healing people and taking care of people and loving people well within the boundaries of the law, and yet you guys who are supposed to be scrupulously following the law are planning and plotting evil, trying to catch me in something. And later they would try to kill him. They start planning his death on this day. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away, met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. They want to kill him, not because that he had broken God's law, but he's come and taken away their power. He's come to set things right and make things new and no longer will people have to be burdened under their ridiculous interpretations of God's word. Now Jesus has come to set people free by faith in him alone. We don't need to have these people, priests, pastors, bishops, popes, in between us and God. Jesus is the mediator between God and man and they hate that because they want to be the famous ones. They want to be the ones that everybody looks to to have a right standing with God. You know, they eventually did kill him. They plotted evil. You see how hypocritical they are. They eventually killed him because of their hardness of hearts. Why? Because they're blind and their hearts need to be transformed and changed. And that is what every human being needs. But specifically with the 
the Jewish people, 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, Paul talks about it and he says their minds were hardened for this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Why do we have false religions, false teachers, false prophets and cults out there in the world? Because they are blinded by unbelief. They are blinded in their depravity and sin. And it takes a miracle for that veil to be lifted. And so as we look at our family members and friends that are stuck in this, or maybe you're here today and and you're, you're visiting as a guest for the first time, we need to look at them with compassion and love saying, you know what, they're blind. Because if we look at them in any other way, in a legalistic way, all of a sudden we become the Pharisees. And we say, well, they're blind, but I, I pulled the veil off myself, and I did these good things, and I got smart, and I trained myself, and that's how I came to believe in Christ. All of a sudden, we start becoming legalistic because we're making it about our own ability and our own works rather than giving Jesus all the glory because he deserves all the glory. It says, the only way the veil can be taken away is through Christ. So what do we need to give our unbelieving family members, friends, co-workers, the people who are stuck in legalism? We need to give them Christ. And there isn't a promise that they're going to accept him. But yet, if you don't give him Christ and you give him all kinds of other foolishness or worldliness or even things from the Bible that sound great, moral things and practical things, you give them stuff like that, They're not going to understand it because they can't understand spiritual truth. They need Christ to come in, remove the veil, set them free, forgive their sins, give them a new heart and a spirit so now that they can understand the whole point of all that God has said and done. We must give them Christ. Jesus Christ came on this earth. He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, What we deserve, penalty and separation from God, he took on himself so that we could have new life, be forgiven. When we trust in Jesus and by him alone, by faith alone, and now as we try to follow the Sabbath or try to follow God's laws, let us understand what they mean for us. They aren't for us to be right with God or to make him happy. There are good principles that we should follow As Christians, and ultimately, what was the Sabbath pointing to? This is my last verse. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The author of Hebrews is trying to tell us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath. Now we don't have to work to be made right with God. We can rest from our works because Jesus did all the work for you and I to have a relationship with God. We trust in that. We don't live under burden. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest because Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our ultimate rest. We don't come to God through works. If you've been living in that such a way, Come to Jesus for rest. And if you have sins that are burdening you, you, come to him and experience love and forgiveness. Would you pray with me?
Father, thank you for your word. Spirit, thank you for coming into our hearts and minds and helping us to see the glory of Christ. God, I pray that if there are people here, Lord, that you've been moving, God, that they would trust in you, that they would come forward. If there, there are questions that need to be answered, God, I pray that you would have them come and, and just connect with someone here today because the other reason why we're here, Lord, not just expounding on your truth, but it's also to have loving relationships and fellowship. So, Father, I pray that that would happen, Lord, and this would be a safe place for all people to come and to just relieve themselves of their burdens and come and sit at your feet, Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen.